afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Hashtag Morris Mondays. I'm your host, Dr. James T. Morris, the presiding elder of the Central Florida District of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church and senior pastor of Carter Tabernacle CME Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're glad to have you with us. Today, we're gonna to have a little different format. We're gonna do a Q&A question from Terrell Turner that uh, have been gathered and um, so enjoy. Thank you for being with us. Good afternoon, Pastor Morris. Good afternoon, Good afternoon, Hashtag Morris Mondays viewers. I am Terrell Turner, one of the creators of Hashtag Morris Mondays. Um, shout out to Ms. Valerie Dennis as well. She is um, also a co-creator on this uh, project. So we thank you guys for joining us today for this Q&A. Um, can you believe we made it to episode 10? Wow. This Wonderful. is episode 10, guys. Great um, <laughs> So we have some questions um, that we have gathered for Pastor Morris today. So I hope you guys enjoy. This will be a two-parter, so this is part one. Okay, let's begin. All right. So question number one, how does it feel to do Hashtag Morris Mondays? Well, you know, Terrell, it's, uh, it's refreshing um, because it gives me an opportunity to uh, talk about issues that are current um, and not only talk about current issues but to answer questions that people have um, regarding um, the statements that I've made or the um, talks that I've given uh, so um, I, I enjoy it it's a good format Hi, what was your initial reaction when hashtag Morris Mondays was presented to you well when it was presented to me I thought for a while um, wow who came up with this idea um, and um, what is the intent? Um, and so as the intent has unfolded, as we have gone through, this is our 10th edition. Um, so it's been good. Um, my uh, concerns were um, laid aside after probably the second episode and uh, feedback from uh, friends and relatives and persons who saw it, uh, thought it was good. And, hoped that I would continue or we would continue in this format. Uh, so um, all those fears and concerns have been uh, waylaid now. So amid this COVID-19 crisis, um, churches around the world, they began to do drive-in services. Um, this began here at Carter in early April. Am I correct? In March. Early April, oh, early March? Okay. So what was your response when this idea was first presented to you? And what is your favorite part about the experience? Well, the idea was not presented to me. Um, the idea uh, came to me. Um, and uh, when it came to me, I decided that uh, that was the best way for us to stay connected. Um, because um, people were feeling disconnected with the shutdown and um, not being able to, uh, to go and do what they normally did. And I knew that um, talking to people over the phone um, and hearing, we will be glad when we can get back to church for worship, um, it became abundantly clear that people still needed that sense of community. Um, and so we could only provide community by socially distancing ourselves from each other. Um, so the idea came that uh, this is something um, that we should do. Um, and so, um, and then after I had decided to do it, oddly enough, uh, I got a call from one of our members who said, 
um, that their cousin was doing it and um, that it worked well at their church. And I said, well, that's what we're getting ready to do. Um, and so um, it just, it, it grew from there, just to be creative in ways to do worship and ways to stay connected to people and that people feel connected to, to God. You know, this is hallowed ground. Church parking lot is just as much a part of the church as the church itself. So uh, people come and they feel like they are part of and they're at service, they're at church. And so it's good for them. Okay. So being a member of Charter, um, you've been here for five years. Has it been five years? I feel like it's been longer than that. Longer than that. Oh, wow. I feel. This will start the seventh year. Oh, seven. Yes, this will start My the bad, guys. It's been seven years. <laughs> Journalism. Um, compared back then, seven years ago, to now, how do you feel um, being pastor of this historic church and being the presiding elder of the Central Florida District? Well, Terrell, let me put it to you this way. This is not my first rodeo um, in either setting. Um, I've been the presiding elder before and also pastor the historic church uh, in uh, in St. Louis um, and it's the mother church of, of, of that region um, a historic church like this one and so um, the difference is um, that when I arrived here um, there were some challenges that seemed insurmountable um, and we have uh, God has blessed us to able to get over each of those hurdles. Um, here we are, um, after folks thought uh, Carter would be gone, uh, here we are. Um, by the grace of God and the, the hard work of the members, the fellowship of uh, officers, um, God has blessed us. And so we're looking forward to uh, turning the page. What do you see as Carter's future? Is to get back to doing ministry that Carter is historically known for. Um, this current uh, financial crisis situation has made us have to look inward uh, because we've had to sustain ourselves, maintain ourselves, and make sure we were still going to be able to do ministry. And that's what I mean by turning the page. Now, um, that we've gotten over most of those hurdles or 90% of those hurdles, we can now look toward getting involved in doing ministry again. And that was the, the celebration, if you will, mm -hmm. from my standpoint, when we had the food distribution on this Thursday and provided food to almost 1,500. Um, and we're talking about families. So when you talk about families, mm -hmm. some of them are large families. We have served into well over 2,000 people. Um, that's ministry. And that's what I see us getting back into doing ministry uh, for a world that's hurting, a world that's confused, a world that's looking for relief. So that's what I look forward to. And that's what I said to the congregation uh, on my arrival. If you follow me as I follow God, I'll steer us through this crisis and we'll be back again ministry doing God's business. And that is so important, ministry. That's part of Carter's legacy. So, during episodes of 
Hashtag Morse Mondays, just a few topics that you've mentioned. You've talked about systematic racism. You talked about the coronavirus. You talked about hashtag Black Lives Matter. You talked about democracy. So what do all these topics mean to you? They mean to me a sea tide change um, that is forced upon us. Uh, one that's long overdue. But it takes uh, a static force uh, to bring about change. Change just doesn't happen. People get comfortable with the way things are, but particularly those persons who are benefiting from the way things are. And there's resistance to change. But this epidemic, um, and then on top of the, the, the financial hardship that this epi epidemic has, pandemic has done to the world, particularly to this nation, uh, which is all about businesses, all this in this country is all about the economy. Um, that's what makes this country tick, economics. And so since the economics have been harmed because people have been sick and still getting sick and the virus is out of control, um, then you have the death of George Floyd. Um, so all of the tension that was just below the surface waiting to erupt, uh, had the opportunity for eruption. And because it's erupted now, we're having to talk about and challenge what we call democracy, which I challenge because I don't think we are yet a democratic society uh, because there's no equality in our society. Um, but it's forcing that now. And young millennials like yourself, who are out there protesting and determined that things are going to change are making these changes happen. Um, and the church has got to be a part of that change. It was a part of the change in the 60s before. Uh, it must be a part of the change now to, in order to remain relevant. Um, and so uh, that's why I'm excited about it and, and what these opportunity possibilities mean for us going forward. So remember a few years ago you talked about Black Lives Matter. Now, being an African-American pastor of an African-American <clears throat> church, um, give me, using the word black, give me five specific words when you think of being an African-American pastor, using the word black. Um, that, that I must um, provide hope, um, that I've got to be a voice of hope, uh, to a people who have for over 400 years uh, been at the tail end of everything this nation has to offer, uh, to be hope to millennials like yourself in saying that God understands where we are and not only does he understand where we are, uh, but he has provided the catalyst for us. Uh, to move forward and make our um, society better. I think the next thing um, I would say that this um, current pandemic and the shape that this nation is in uh, means leadership. Um, I understand the idea of uh, defunding the police. But defunding the police cannot mean eradicating the 
beliefs. Um, when we're in trouble, we call on the police also. So we need the police. We just need policing to change. Um, we need for it to understand that when it comes into, when police come into our community, they should not come in expecting to police uh, the Paramore neighborhood or the Lake Man area differently than it does other areas of the city. Um, and so um, we've got to provide leadership. Um, I've been in conversations with the chief about what it will mean uh, to come into our communities now um, and um, provide public safety. Um, but don't come in assuming anything. Uh, so come in having some diversity training and then learn how to deal with black people um, because you can't deal with black people the way you deal with white people. Um, we're, we're, we're different cultures and we respond differently. There's certain touchstones that can touch us off that won't touch off anybody else, but they touch us off because the 400 years of what we've been through, um, police brutality is not new to real. It's been going on as long as there have been black people on this soil, on this nation's soil. Um, we've always had uh, police brutality in our community. And so uh, to provide leadership in that area um, as, a, as a black pastor, uh, to say to our chief about what needs to happen, um, uh, what they need to look for when they are vetting their recruits. Uh, there are some things that won't show up on an application, but can show up in conversation. Uh, that can show up in their history, that suggests that they have a history that's jaded or shaded toward uh, looking at me because of the color of my skin differently than they look at someone who looks like them. So we've got to provide an issue there. That's number three. Um, I would say that the fourth thing, wow, you've asked for five, the fourth thing <laughs> that um, we would need to do um, is to push for uh, economic justice. Um, uh, to say to people on city councils, to say to mayors, to say to judges, uh, to say to people who sit in positions of leadership, that this same sea tide of change that is being forced because of what's going on in our society, they've got to feel that same nudging and force things to happen where they sit with the power to make things happen. Because if they don't, the protest testing will be for naught. The marching will be for naught. Um, there has to be on the inside, there has to be this willingness to change. And if there's not a willingness to change, force the change. Uh, city councils, county councils, city mayor, county mayor have got to be adamant about forcing these changes. So that's number four. Um, government has to be our partner. Along with, along with, as I said, the judicial system, uh, because we've got to 
uh, know that there's a there's a difference in the way black folk are treated as opposed to white folk when they come before a judge. Uh, we we know of instances of, of of white folks committing the same crime, getting less of time, or not doing any time at all because they can afford attorneys and not public defenders whose calendars are too full to really dig into a problem. And so our judicial system has got to uh, be partners in this. Finally, I need to say to all of you who are listening, your vote means more now than it's ever meant before. Your contemporaries well you've got to get them to the polls it's not enough for us to register them not enough to sign them up on election day come hell or high water they got to vote if they don't get a early ballot a mail-in ballot they got to be ready to endure long lines come prepared bring a lawn chair with you bring your water with you whatever you need to keep yourself hydrated and stay in that line and vote because we've got to make a change. We now have the, the, the opportunity to change the Senate and the White House. It's in our grasp. And if we change the Senate and the White House, I believe these other changes, these other things that we're trying to force will be easier to make law. And I think all of our lives will be so much better for it. But we gotta vote. We gotta vote. Must vote. I know you some say that my vote doesn't matter. Well, you see what happened when we didn't vote. You see what we got now. You gotta vote. Okay, three more questions and then we'll end this. Let's start two questions from Miss Savoni Austin. Shout out to her. Okay, so she said the first one, Pastor. What can we do as a church to support the Black Lives Matter movement uh, so it doesn't get overlooked like many other social injustice, uh, injustice movements in recent years? Okay, good question, Ronia. Um, the one, the most obvious way to support Black Lives Matter um, is to um, go to the rallies, um, practice some social distancing, wear your mask, um, and um, um, just support, be seen, be present. Uh, second thing is to encourage our children and our grandchildren to be supportive as well. Um, because those numbers speak. Um, and if those numbers continue to be out there protesting and marching, then the media will stay there. And as long as the media stays there, that keeps it in front of politicians and they know that this is not just a passing thing, but something that we really, really, really want to happen. The other way that we can support Black Lives Matter, uh, folk who can't do those marches anymore, like myself, but I can, I can, I can go to a march site or wherever they're going to have the, the crowd to end up. I've done that and been there um, already, waiting on them to get there. But the other way we can do it is that we need to get on the telephone and call our representatives, our congresspersons, our, our, our senators, um, our county commissioners, our city council members, call them and tell them what we expect out of them. 
um, and let them know that elections have consequences and they're not supporting has consequences as well. So I think that the, the easiest way for those who uh, want to remain socially distant and cannot get out and do their marching is to um, contact their uh, local representative bodies uh, and let them know that this is exactly what we are expecting out of them and that is to support the Black Lives Matter movement. The other thing we can do is that uh, we've got a, a date coming up. I can't remember what it is. It's on my calendar, but when we're not supposed to buy anything, I think it's tomorrow. Is it the 7th? Yeah. Or the 7th? Yes, the 7th. Seventh. I, think, I think the 7th is right. I have it. Um, is, to, is to not, you know, let, let's, we, we, have, we, we do a lot of buying. Mm -hmm. We're consumers. Black people are consumers more than we ought to be consumers. We ought to be saving more than we consume. Uh, but we are consumers. And so uh, we need to let this nation know, let them feel the impact economically of what will happen if if they don't treat us right. I mean, in the 60s, the late 50s and the 60s, we used to do boycotts. Those boycotts, they spoke. They said something to local establishments that, hey, black folks are not spending their money. We got to do something because this country is all about economics. And so that speaks volumes. And I think that we need to, um, we need to honor that day as well. Matter of fact, I plan to send out a knee blast to the members of Congress. Let them know that this is, this is the day we're supposed to refrain from spending any money. Thank you for the reminder. Um, the second question she asked was, is there any way we can have a Zoom or some other social distancing uh, symposium, like the debate you were a part of at Rollins College a few years ago, uh, that will open an honest dialogue to discuss the cancer racism uh, that has plagued the country for far too long? She said the killing has to stop. Well, I agree with her uh, that the killing has to stop. It has to stop on two fronts. One, it has to stop with police killing black people and it has to stop black people killing black people. It's unnecessary, it's unneeded, it's no good, and Savanya's right, it has to stop. I would be happy to have a Zoom town hall kind of a uh, meeting on racism, um, and let me throw it back to Savanya and tell her to orchestrate it. Tell her to get it together and we'll do it. You heard it, Ms. Savanya. Balls in your court, <laughs> And the last question for today. Today in your sermon, you talked about unfailing love. What a mighty God. That was the name of the sermon. You can listen to it um, right now on our Facebook page and on our YouTube pages as well. So can you go more in depth with that, please? What did you mean by unfailing love? I mean, what does it mean to God, God loves us unconditionally, unfailingly. Um, his love toward us doesn't cease because you and I, like everyone else, are prone to sin. Um, we were born in sin. We were shaped in iniquity. And as such, our sinful nature is not pleasing to God. It goes against everything God told us to do. Yet, you and I are benefits of God's unfailing love because here we are. Um, without his love, 
that would mean he has withdrawn himself from us. And if he withdraws himself from us, we don't have anything to sustain us. His breath is our breath. If he withdraws that from us, we cease to exist. So we are benefits, beneficiaries of his unfailing love just by our living, moving, and having our being. I'm not hungry. You're not hungry. I'm not homeless. You're not homeless. You have a job. I have a job. The basic necessities of life are extended to us because of his unfailing love toward us. And all he asks of us is to thank and praise him for extending that to us and doing our best to live in a way that pleases him, even in our sinfulness. Because we as Methodists believe that we sin even after salvation is extended toward us. As a result, when we depend on that grace and mercy, that unfailing love to sustain us. So that's what I mean if I say his unfailing love. What a mighty God we serve who is slow to anger. He puts up with our foolishness, Jamel, for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, he wouldn't have to do anything but blink an eye. And you and I cease to be. But his unfailing love keeps us. And that was part one of this Q&A. Thank you all for watching Hashtag Morris Mondays. Don't forget to ask Pastor Morris your questions. I think we might have to do two more parts because this was really good. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed it. And remember, heaven is watching how we what? Respond. Respond. Have a good day, everybody. God, God bless you. Submit your questions today to Pastor Morris at ctcmeav at gmail.com or leave them below in the comments right here on our Facebook page. Pastor Morris is ready to answer your questions. See them featured in the next episode. You can now listen to Hashtag Morris Mondays in a podcast format available at anchor.fm slash Morris Mondays and right now on Spotify anytime anywhere, any place. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Morris Mondays. There you can get more information on hashtag Morris Mondays, submit your questions, and listen and see exclusives from Morris Mondays.